This is the podcast. Uh, I, where... I'm Pat, by the way. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> it's been a just so the audience knows that while only one week has elapsed in podcast world, there's been a huge hiatus between the last recording and this one, due mostly to well, 100% to me. Had some major family updates that required a bit of my attention. I now have a three-month-old daughter who's doing just fine. But if we feel a little bit rusty on this one, uh, blame me entirely. Yep. Yep, though there's a there's a rare peek behind the podcast curtain. That's so right. for those of you who thought that we were broadcasting these live, I'm afraid that in fact there's a uh, considerable time difference between uh, when we record these and when you might hear them. So this is our first time in a in a while, yeah. and uh, congratulations on you. your your young daughter. I do you want to share her name on the podcast? Uh, sure. Yeah, her name's Flynn, and she's great, and uh, yeah, couldn't be happier. She's uh. She's wonderful. I couldn't help but notice that it does rhyme with Finn. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> keep keep dreaming on that one. Yeah, that's exactly yep. why. That's exactly why. Yep, that, but that's straight where my brain went, but that doesn't mean that there was any sort of intention uh-huh. <laughs> by you and Carolyn. <laughs> Happy to be back at the old podcast helm. Is maybe that the right word? I'm not sure. The old sure. podcast microphone here. We're happy to talk to you, uh, good people of the listening audience, about a couple more episodes of Adventure Time. That's right. So for those of you who have forgotten, even though it's been a week for you and three months for us, this is the podcast where I, Pat, a super fan of Adventure Time, am trying to convince my best friend Ben, who's never seen it before, that that, uh, Adventure Time's the best show ever. So... What we're doing is we're watching two episodes of Adventure Time per episode of the podcast, then we talk about them, overanalyze them, and uh, see uh, where Ben is after the last two episodes that we watched. Yeah. So, because that's the way we to might make as well someone... jump right in. Yeah, that's the way to make someone uh, really genuinely like a thing is to make them talk about it in excruciating detail every time they every time they experience it. That's right. I think the key to enjoyment is over analysis. Yeah. No, I'm totally actually on board with that. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, let's, uh, let's jump right in. We are still in season one, but we're getting towards the end here, actually. We uh, have made it all the way to season one, episodes 21 and 22. Correct. Like we always do, we'll start with the first one that we watched. That was episode 21, which is called Donnie. Yeah. Ben, why don't you fill us in on what's going on with Donnie? Yeah, I will try to do so briefly. And I will say that in the three months between recordings here i did not watch any other adventure time partly it was okay so you're you're just as i'm just as fresh to this episode as i have been in other episodes partly that was because i you know had other obligations and kind of forgot about this so that wasn't it wasn't totally a uh, conscious choice but i would say that the experiment remains intact because of it all right so anyway, so Donnie. This is the first time that you've met Donnie. This is the first time I've met Donnie. Donnie, uh, in a nutshell, the episode revolves around Finn and Jake's interactions with a, I believe they called him a grass ogre named Donnie. Yeah, grass ogre. Donnie is a grass ogre that they encounter who is terrorizing a small town. Well, townspeople, I guess, would be the best way to call them. They are living buildings, and they, like like it's a bank with a face, kind of. Thomas the Tank Engine style, but and uh, arms and legs, they and arms and legs, and arms too. and legs. Yeah, it's like a running. It's like a, a building that can run around, and they're tiny. Is my sense of things based on the yes. the proportions that were drawn. They're little. It's a very tiny town. Donnie is an ogre who is terrorizing this town. That Finn and Jake decide that they need to uh, rectify this problem, and they decide that they need to take Donnie under their wing. It's mostly Finn's decision to do so take Donnie under their wing to make him less of a jerk. Finn sees some yeah. sort of kindred spirit in Donnie, a bit of a a bit of a roughhouser, I think is what he calls him. So Finn sees the best in Donnie and thinks that he can change him. Jake is less convinced, but they take him home and try to start teaching him uh sort of oh, I've now I've dropped the Shakespeare there's the Shakespeare play where they try to change Taming of the Shrew, I guess. 
try to change. Oh, sure, sure. Change the person, change change the attitude of Donnie. Take him, take the jerk out of him, basically. So they try to do that, uh, but there are unintended consequences, which maybe we can get to in a bit. But you know, I would say that that's the that's sort of the setup of the episode. Yeah, and I, I think it's important to note that Donnie isn't, when we say terrorizing, he isn't like, you know, wreaking havoc and destroying things. He's more just being a bully. Right. His favorite move appears to be picking up ducks and uh, using them sort of as cannons to shoot eggs at the houses. Yeah. And so Donnie, more so than being, you know, your typical scary ogre who might eat you or, or otherwise cause harm, Donnie's really just more of a bully. Yeah, he is. And I think that's where Finn, in Finn's interaction with him, that's where he sees a light at the end of a tunnel, perhaps. He sees that perhaps this is not, that that he is a jerk, but for reasons that could be changed. Maybe he's a product of his environment, I guess. Right. Yeah, I think Finn sees Donnie terrorizing these, these poor house people, but... He doesn't pull his sword and leap through the air to destroy Donnie. Uh-huh. He, he seems to want to take a, a different tack at this one. He yeah. doesn't identify him as evil. He's someone who maybe they can help. Yeah, and I think that's going to be a theme for these two episodes. Is sort of a, it's a maturation of Finn's honor code or his his yep. reaction to the honor code. And I think that's what he sees in in Donnie. Is this is perhaps. You know, Finn recognizes the roughhouser in his own personality, and I think he sees in Donnie that he says he thinks to himself, "This is a roughhousing type guy who just lacks an honor code. If I could instill an honor code in him, we could make a we could make something out of him, basically." So they decide to take Donnie home. Yep, they take him back to their treehouse. Jake protesting the whole way. Jake does not see that same spark of spark of the divine inside of Donnie. But they they give it the old college try, for sure. Finn tries to do his... Gives him his favorite things, I suppose. Video games and apple juice. And says, you know, these are the things that I like. And maybe maybe you could like them too. And he sings him a song. An empathy song? Is the other that's the other yep. little bit of instruction he gives Donnie? Yeah, um, and I can't recreate the song. I've forgotten the lyrics, but it's a very simplistic "think about others' feelings when you act" kind of song. It's it's like out of a like Sharon Lois and Bram or something, you know, where you would sing a song to a preschooler to to teach them something. Right. And so it's yeah. There's a song about empathy, and then Jake keeps teaching him songs later on, and it, yeah. they seem to help Donnie remember how it is that he's supposed to behave. And I think that's actually kind of how it works for little kids as well. You know, you sing something to them and then they get into a situation where that might apply. And, you know, it might help to just kind of sing about empathy to remember that you shouldn't be a jerk to somebody. Yeah. Oh, it was ringing true. I mean, that's that this part of the episode. I I mean, mostly because of the current situation I find myself in rearing children. (laughs) (laughs) This this part of the episode rang hit hit pretty close to home with having to having to come up with stupid songs to make kids remember stuff. And and you're a you're a creative and musical guy, so I imagine there's quite a bit of of singing, pointful singing, purposeful singing in in the Irie household. Yeah, I can't say that I've come up with my own songs, but I am very quick to to grab the the songs that I like from other other creators, like you know TV shows and things like that. I'm I definitely am willing to use their songs to my benefit. Gotcha. But I haven't made up one of my own, not that I can think of. Uh, I mostly use, you know, PBS PBS shows, and I even reached. I've even reached back into my my younger my younger years with my younger sisters, pulling some Barney songs out that just you know some old some old school tracks for for my kids to uh, yeah know, help those them are clean deep up, cuts help them clean up and things like that. Oh man, it's they work. It's crazy how well they work. <laughs> I guess that show was on for a long time and was real popular for a reason. Oh yeah, this episode though, um, we've only discussed the really the act one, I suppose. Yeah, of the episode because what ends up happening, the complication that happens because Finn and Jake decide to turn Donnie into a decent person, a decent ogre. There is a a new villain that arrives on the scene that starts terrorizing the towns, the townspeople for real. 
They yeah, are, much more violently than Donnie was. Yeah, this is an escalation. They have now a new threat to the town. What is initially thought of as werewolves, we find out later, are actually the Y-wolves. Um, <laughs> they act just like werewolves, except for the fact that in addition to being consumed by a bloodlust, they are also consumed by the spirit of inquiry, I believe. Yes, they are possessed by the spirit of inquiry and bloodlust. <laughs> right. It's a double whammy. So it's explained, the the Y-wolves helpfully explain to Finn that because of their because of their nature they have to answer his query why they he wants to know why they're attacking this this town um and he they explain that there was a ecosystem in place when Donnie was present that essentially established a hierarchy of villainry that would attack this town that's a good way to characterize it yeah the townspeople at a, at level 1 are being harassed by Donnie the grass ogre but as unpleasant as that was for the town, his presence actually created a barrier that kept the Y-Wolves at bay. Due to his extreme jerkiness, he excreted a cloud of gas, and I'm forgetting the name, but... Uh, <laughs> it's called Obnoxygen. Obnoxygen, yes. His, his jerkiness is creating a cloud of Obnoxygen that is repellent to the Y-Wolves, and therefore Finn and Jake's removal of this first level predator from the ecosystem has therefore allowed a higher order predator, the Y-Wolves, to move in and be left unchecked, essentially. Yeah, that's actually, I didn't think of it that way, but it's kind of the wolf and moose population on Isle Royal. They, they fluctuate as things change, so the, the population of one group is dependent upon the other. So I, I, I like thinking about it as an ecosystem. That's well done. No, oh, yeah. Well, the Y-Wolves did the, hard, the heavy lifting there. I think they did a lot of the description in that, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just copying them. But that leaves Finn with a conundrum, a paradox. He wants to save the town from one villain, but in doing so has exposed them to a worse villain. And so now he needs to decide, should he reinstall the first villain and accept it as a necessary evil? Or is there some other solution? He doesn't really come up with another solution. He essentially has to deal with this as like a an unintended consequence of his actions that he needs to yeah, now and, reverse course. And and here we get to what you were talking about earlier. So, you know, Finn tends to think in, in absolutes. You know, this is the bad guy. I'm the good guy. I'm going to fly through the air mm -hmm. and chop up the bad guy. Just like he does, really, uh, at the beginning of the episode, he identifies Donnie as a problem, so he removes it from the situation without really uh, taking time to understand it fully what's going on in the situation. And then all of a sudden, Finn finds himself in this sort of paradox, like you described, where the honorable thing in terms of saving the house people, at first it's removing Donnie because he's bullying them, but then you realize that the Y-Wolves are probably going to do worse, and so he has to put Donnie back, but neither one of those options really sync up with his absolutist view of good and evil. Either what I do is good or what I do is evil, and if I reintroduce Donnie to this town and he starts bullying them, that, that can't possibly be good. And if I do nothing and allow the Y-Wolves to eat the town, that also can't possibly be good. So Finn is, is kind of coming up against moral relativism and sort of learning that, that there's no such thing as a black and white good evil situation. Yeah, I think it's been interesting. I have a question for you. Ever since, I will admit, ever since I think the businessman episode where you dropped, yeah. where you dropped some serious analogies on me. Relating, yeah, I, I, I talked to, for a long time in that one. <laughs> relating to, in that time, relating to the analogy between the progression of the businessman and, and uh, in its relation to, I believe it was Marx's description of how a capitalist society progresses. Yeah, Marx and Lenin. Yeah. So my question here is, do we have another, I, I, I've been searching for analogies and I'm going to I'm going to give it a try here. I have a couple options and I'm going to throw your way and I want to see what you think. You, you see if I'm pick, you see if you want to pick up what I'm laying down here. One option I see here is that, is this a commentary or is this a criticism of nation building? Essentially, I could see an analogy to something like the removal of Saddam Hussein from Iraq as 
as a removal of one evil, which left a power vacuum, which left, which has now resulted in a, a host of other problems in that region. Yeah, that's a great analogy. The other thing that I see, and I'm going to put them both down and we can talk about them. The other is, is this another endorsement of a socialist style of thought in that you essentially have a group of working class people, the townspeople, who have essentially no option but to be oppressed. Like they have no, there's no scenario that Finn can create for them where they aren't being attacked by something. And so do you have like the double-headed corrupt, either a corrupt government or a even worse, some other class, you know, a, a, some other economic class that then moves in. There's no, there's no way out for the lowest, the, the low class in this, in this uh, scenario. They're always going to be oppressed. Yeah, I do think that there is a certain amount of accepting that things are not going to work out all the time. Okay. And whether it's a class thing, I, I'm not so sure I'd need to think about that for a long time, but I really did like the nation-building analogy. Finn is kind of an imperialist, I guess, where you know he's just wandering around and people are minding their own business, but if he sees what he perceives to be a problem— He's going to rush in there and fix that doggone problem whether you want him to fix it or not and whether he really knows what the hell he's doing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I certainly see the parallels there to rushing headlong into conflicts in Asia without a good plan for what will happen after the conflict should we should we win. And so then you, uh, I guess the, the Y-Wolves are ISIS. Yeah, I mean, or, you know... <laughs> I didn't think through it much beyond what I <laughs> what I sort of set out for you, so don't 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 poke at the edges of this. But yeah, sure. Yeah. Also, it's way too late to put Saddam Hussein back in Iraq, so we can Indeed. we can forget about the uh, returning was, Donnie. And I'm gonna and I, I will concede that he was much more than a sort of harmless bully. I'm not. I'm not, I don't want to. I don't want to minimize what happens in that area of the world. Simply, I, I think I think the nation building as a concept is really all I saw here. Yeah, try to use absolutely, an and it's it's about you know considering the consequences of your actions mm -hmm. and realizing that you see something bad, but you need to consider is it really bad mm -hmm. or is it the necessary sort of situation given the time and place in which it exists mm -hmm. uh, before you go in and try and solve it? Because and this this applies all across life. You know, yep. if you just barge in and try and solve a situation that's actually running kind of okay, you're going to wind up causing bigger problems than they had before. Indeed. Yeah. The idea that you can try to centrally plan something that has an organic evolution to it is a problem that, that we see in all aspects of government and all aspects of our personal lives where we try to exert some sort of control over a system that maybe is already... It's... It maybe seems chaotic from the outside, but it's actually an organized system if you're inside of it. Right, and going, coming along and blowing up the order is mm -hmm. going to create more problems than, than you had in the first place. So the way that Finn and Jake get Donnie to go back to being a jerk, I thought was interesting. It's a plot device that you see a lot where it's like you have to hurt someone in order to get them to do what they need to do. Yeah, I was watching Game of Thrones last night and thinking about Arya throwing rocks at Nymeria and making her run off into the woods so that she wouldn't get killed by one of the Lannisters. And you know, it's hurting our it's hurting Arya to throw the rocks. It's hurting Nymeria to have the rocks hit her. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, it's for the best because she's going to get away and not get killed. It's the classic. This is hurting more. This is hurting me more than it's hurting you. It's that classic parenting kind of sentiment that you sometimes have to you have to say like tough it's you know tough love whatever you want to call it yeah and and it's it's you're doing something deliberately to hurt someone else but it's for a higher good but mm -hmm. it doesn't feel good to you in the moment and it certainly doesn't feel good to that person because in order to get donnie to go back to being a jerk to the house people they have to more or less say hey guess what like you're a stupid jerk the reformed donnie wearing pants and playing the cello he doesn't want to hear that and it really hurts his feelings, but it does the job. It does. It does do the job. And he comes back more obnoxious than ever, but but it does work. It drives away the Y-Wolves. And 
I guess I will say that uh, balance is restored. I can't really say that like it ends with a happy ending. It's just sort of that right. the balance is restored. Right. It, it's back to the status quo, yeah. which, as far as we're concerned, is fine because we've never seen it before. And Finn and Jake managed to undo the damage that they did. Yeah. It's certainly different from some of the earlier earlier episodes and earlier quests where their desire to rush headlong into a problem has has worked in the past. And this time it didn't. Right. So I have a, I have a question for you about about mm-hmm. this episode. Donnie is pretty much your classic bully. He yeah. seems like he is out there being a jerk because he himself is insecure, mm-hmm. especially when he gets back to the treehouse and he's very threatened by anyone caring about him. Yep. He's always thinking that someone is making fun of him. Yep. <laughs> one of my favorite lines is one that I haven't heard for, I mean, 20 more or more years is when uh he can't win the video game so he breaks the controller and says this game cheats (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's something that i know i used to say but i i can't remember the last time i heard anybody say it but it is a classic like you know when you're young and you can't beat a video game it's not your fault it's got to be the game's fault so yeah well yeah blame you're blaming the universe for your problems yeah and that's that's kind of where Donnie is. You know, he's very insecure, and so he takes that out on whomever is is closest to him. So he's a very, very classic bully insofar as, you know, he's got a soft underbelly, but he protects it at all costs by projecting, a, you know, this, this air of being a, being a real hard, mean person that you uh-huh. don't want to mess with. Uh-huh, yeah. So what's your question? Yeah, so we've got Donnie the bully, and mm-hmm. I think that this is something that you see in a lot of kids' shows that want to teach a moral, and I'm wondering, do you think that David could watch and learn from Donnie about what a bully is, and maybe don't take Finn and Jake's advice exactly about how to deal with a bully, but I do think that it provides some insight into what a bully is, and I wonder if you think David might be able to pick up on that. Uh, yeah, it David is my uh, four-year-old son, for those who haven't been keeping track of every member of my family. At the beginning of the episode, I definitely had that vibe. That like, oh, this is a, this is a kid's show episode. Like, this show yep. I know is for kids of a certain age, but this felt particularly like a you know, Saturday morning special kind of thing. Like, in a very special episode of Adventure right. Time, uh, Donnie the Bully is confronted like that kind of that kind of thing uh after school special and yeah i think he could pick up on it of course the ending isn't the kind of ending that you want to it's it's a complicated ending so yeah that's where you would lose the four-year-old audience um Mm -hmm. you're gonna need something a little cleaner to wrap this thing up to make it kind of drive the point home but i think some of the some of the the lessons that a bully may be just someone looking for a friend, that kind of, or someone who is looking for someone to care about them. That kind of sentiment is, is certainly like a, that's a lesson you try to teach that like, just because someone's being mean to you doesn't mean you dismiss them or you, they're still worth caring about. They're still worth talking to that kind of thing. Yeah. And that's a, that's a lesson that comes through loud and clear Mm -hmm. is that Donnie really is just looking for a friend. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's how they ultimately upset him at the end of the episode is they, they basically tell him in no uncertain terms that they are not friends with him. Yeah. And so, yeah, Donnie's looking for a friend. And so my second question relating to, uh, to Dave is, does he have any idea what empathy is? I know he's four years old, and my experience with, especially with two and three year olds, is that they are, for all intents and purposes, sociopaths, and they have no ability whatsoever to uh-huh. uh, to see other people as real life people with feelings and thoughts. And I wonder if you tried to talk to Dave about empathy and what it means, or you know, maybe even sang a silly song to him. If you think that that he'd be capable of understanding that, yeah, I uh, I am not a child psychologist, so I don't know what like normal development looks like for every kid here. But yeah, I would say that at age four, yeah, I'm also not a parent, so I have no idea what <laughs> I would what say normal or abnormal development looks like. <laughs> I would say that age at age four, yeah, he is more aware of like other people's feelings, but he is certainly still valuing his own feelings much more than anyone else's you know as you're 
you have to do, like you have to do very simple things as they grow up like even just the concept of like if they you know when, when they are really little they go through phases where they like bite and hit and things like that and you have to actually like be very demonstrative with your emotions like if the kid hits you even if it doesn't hurt you have to kind of like oversell it and be like ow right. that hurt and like make a big frowny face like you have to kind of like really show them what this emotion looks like that you've that they've caused and yeah you have to teach them that way yeah so like helping them understand on an emotional level since cognitively they probably are not going to be able to Mm -hmm. you're not going to sit them down and say let me tell you about empathy and what it really means so right uh, but if you can get them to experience it on an emotional level maybe he will yeah. We'll learn a little something. All right, there's our little uh, digression into child psychology. Oh yeah. What you think of Donnie, and and the episode that that he was that he gave his name to? <laughs> I thought he was a good character. I liked when, at a just a a shallow basic level, I thought when he became a good guy, like the way they drew him was pretty hilarious. The way like yes, his he had like a he had a, like a well combed piece of grass on the top of his head, and and the fact that like. They used wearing pants as this some sort of symbol of like jerks don't wear pants and like cultured people wear pants. Like that was right. the sort he's, of distinction. He's grown they, up enough to put on some pants. That was the distinction they drew. I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah, I thought he was a good character. I thought he was he was a good device. He was extremes though. Like he was he was certainly like extremely bully and then he went extremely pacifist guy or like extremely cultured kind of character and then swings all the way back to almost like more bully than he was in the first place so yeah he was a character of extremes it was fun to watch him swing back and forth on that pendulum yeah that actually may have to do with just kind of his general inability to understand himself and what his character is so much like finn i suppose he doesn't have any middle ground he's either out there being a bully because that's what he knows how to do or he's being super kind and playing the cello uh, because Jake has showed him this is what you do and so there's no well maybe I should just stop squirting uh, duck eggs at the little tiny house yeah and I there was you talking about it brought a a realization up that I think is worth talking about the way that they like we talked about the way they talked to Donnie and tried to teach him to to stop being a bully we explained they used one song about empathy and then when finn had to leave to go fight the Y wolves he left jake in charge and on upon returning jake had fully converted donnie into being a, a cool guy or a, a calm guy at least right and um and i think the way he said he did it was he just kept tell, singing all of his different teaching songs or kind of said something to that effect and it made me realize that like if if Finn is using the teaching song to Donnie, th- this kind of implies that that's how Jake did. Jake raise Finn in some way. I mean, I've seen in the past we've seen in past episodes that like Jake found Finn in the middle of a woods, the Boom Boom episode, and so there's like an is there are we kind of learning about like how Jake raised Finn? Are we simply and Finn is now simply repeating that process because it's the way he know he learned how to be who he is that he's going to try to teach. Donnie in the same way? Yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting question, and yeah. I'm not going to answer it. Oh, great. Okay, fair enough. That it all, all, or at least a lot, will be revealed as we move further along into the series. All right, fair enough. So speaking of moving further along into the series, because I am awesome at segues, let's move on to uh, Season 1, Episode 22, which is called Henchman. Yep. All right, so season one, episode 22, The Henchman. Um, this is a episode that shows us the return, a recurrence of, uh, I know, your favorite character, or, or maybe second favorite character, Marceline the Vampire Queen. Yeah, she's way up there. I'm a big Marceline fan. Yeah. And, and I've previously stated that I, I enjoy Marceline, and I have a theory around an alternate universe in which Marceline represents a uh, older sister figure to Finn. And I think... This episode, for me, did nothing to dispel my uh, my theory, but this is an episode in which, essentially, Marceline, oh, I don't know, cajoles, tricks, I don't know if it's tricks, but yeah, I guess she tricks him into... Yeah, be- I think she tricks him. She tricks him, it's kind of, re- it's revealed, we're, we're jumping ahead, it's revealed later, it's definitely a trick, 
but he she tricks him into becoming her henchman, which has a bit more of a uh, I don't know a, a bit more of a like a covenant aspect to it than just like oh yeah I work for you. It's like no you are bound. He she he ends yeah. up sort of being bound to Marceline in some extra I don't know extra kind of way. Yeah, we we definitely see Finn's sort of code of honor and its absolutism come into play here where yeah. the way that she first tricks him into pledging himself as her henchman is torture is too strong of a word but by forcing her current henchman to do so- all sorts of humiliating tricks even though he appears to be like 175 years old. Yeah. He that's the right word. She she humiliates him in front of Finn and Jake. Right. And so Finn decides that Marceline is abusing this innocent man. And so mm-hmm. what happens? Well, his code of honor demands that he go save that man. Mm-hmm. But it turns out that the only way to save him, or at least the way that Finn comes up with right away, because I don't think that he's going to try and fight Marceline, particularly with <laughs> Jake consistently uh, changing himself into funny things and running away from Marceline. Right. The way that he decides to re- to free this old man from his servitude is to pledge to become Marceline's new henchman. Right. So the uh, the deal is struck. The original henchman is uh, is appeared. To, he, he's he's released from his bondage, and now Finn must accompany Marceline wherever she goes or whenever she requires to do her bidding. And yep, she immediately takes him away. She immediately whisks him away. Jake is terrified for Finn and terrified for himself. I think at the prospect of losing losing Finn. And he sort of he vows that he will try to save him, but uh, but he is having a hard. But fake Jake has a hard time overcoming his general fear of of Marceline for most of the episode. Yeah, there are a lot of good visual gags of how Jake uses his magic powers to demonstrate just how scared he is of Marceline. Right, but what you end up is we is Marceline takes Finn on a series of tasks, and each one of them, at first blush, appears to be heinous. And she straight up calls them evil. Yeah, and it flies directly in the face. Again, we have a a conundrum or a paradox brought about by Finn's moral compass, moral code. Because he is honor-bound to remain true to his word that he will be Marceline's henchman and all that that entails. But the things that she is requiring of him are evil. And yeah, they go against they go against his code of harming innocence, certainly. Right, right. So he is faced with those two absolutes crushing into each other. Uh, he's trapped in the proverbial rock and hard place. But what we learn through the episode is that each time that he is faced with one of these horrendous tasks. At the end of it, there turn there turns out to be a twist. He, he even kind of call it, he finally even starts recognizing that there's one, and we'll kind of go through each one. But there's a twist every time that oh that this actually isn't as it actually wasn't an evil act, or there was a purpose to the evil. There was a purpose to doing what Marceline was doing, and it ends up being a little more complicated than even Finn imagined it to be. Right, right. So Finn is wrestling with these things that he's been asked to do, and he knows that he's honor-bound to do them, but he also knows that it goes against his hero's code, and so we see him struggle with that. But then after the the deed is done, Finn realizes that there was actually really no conflict. That was all being played up by Marceline, right? um, seemingly just for her own enjoyment. Right, which I will say that is where this like older sister kind of teasing aspect of the character that I found was only was reinforced in my mind that yeah. this this is a whole episode where an older sister is terrorizing a little bit but in but she know she knows the whole time that there is a that there's a safe landing spot for all of it but but she's she's uh relishing watching her younger charge her younger brother squirm 
So we can talk about some of the some of the activities if we want. Yeah. So the first bad thing or or evil thing that Marceline says they're going to do is that she needs to feed. Right. And so they come across this house where Very there is a, uh, a man inside playing the piano. And what happens inside the house? Yeah, they come across this house. I mean, they, it's like a Liberace-looking dude uh, playing the piano. And Finn, Marceline tells Finn he needs to hold that, hold him down so that Marceline can feed. Finn's knee-jerk reaction is to reject that command because it means putting him in danger, putting the pianist in danger. But then... He has to eventually obey because the overriding honor code of being her henchman takes over. And so he does. He ends up holding him, holding down the, the piano player, apologizing to the piano player the whole time. And do you remember what the piano player says in response to Finn's apology? <laughs> yeah, the piano player is is surprisingly cool about the whole thing says yeah it says oh i understand i was married once too exactly finn says i have you don't understand i have to do this because she's telling me and oh it's all right son i was i was married too once (laughs) the whole scenario is horrifying to finn up until the point where marceline does actually feed but then we're reminded and i'd kind of forgotten about this marceline doesn't necessarily feed on blood as a vampire she actually feeds on the color red yeah so that's that's actually an interesting question for you you know i i knew that and i'd seen this episode a bunch of times yeah when she was all fangs out heading for that guy's neck what were you thinking i was willing to accept that she was gonna feed on him i mean like creatures kind of shrivel up and die in this show i mean i guess i mean have has a creature ever actually died one that like a, that's not a pure monster. You know, I think it's mostly been reserved for monsters. It's yeah. uh, things that you know, creatures that Finn and Jake are beating up and vanquishing are the only things that ever really are are mortal. Yeah, but I mean, even but I guess the first episode, I mean, it, it revolves around the whole thing that they're actually reviving dead people. Uh, that's, that's true. So it's like in same instant in the first episode, they both establish that yes. Characters that you care about can die in this episode, but they are also there's also an impermanence to death. Like they can be easily brought back if need be. Yeah. So I think there's sort of a establishment in this universe or at least the show that character death need not be as traumatic as it might be. It can yeah. it's, it's there's low stakes to the death. We certainly have not seen an innocent person die. No. It's all been people who people or creatures who deserved it. So yeah. So Marceline is bearing her fangs, she's coming down on that guy's neck and, and you're thinking, Oh man, she's really gonna eat him. Yeah, I kinda was like, Oh, this guy's gonna die but I didn't think for a second like that I it, I was it was it was low stakes for me. I wasn't like, Oh god, this is horrible because I was, in my back of my mind, not consciously, but it's kind of like he could come back at any time. Like it's not a Okay. So there's no like so like I wasn't like upset about it but yeah i thought for sure i was like oh yeah she's gonna kill him she's gonna drink his blood and then we'll see where it goes and then i I was willing to see where it went i actually kind of remember the first time that i watched this and i was very alarmed by the prospect of her actually eating the guy and it had less to do with his fate than it did with what it would mean for marceline as a character because as we've already clearly established, I quite like Marceline, and I was not really ready for her to actually be a bloodthirsty vampire. Yeah. And so that in, in that instant, it was alarming to me. Not, oh man, I hope that, that that pianist survives, but oh my god, what does this mean? Marceline actually eats people. And that would have, obviously, huge implications for her as a character and, and the rest of the show. Yeah, that's true. I hadn't... I'm surprisingly less invested in Marceline. I like her, but I like, I think I'm more wrapped up in my little older sister analogy, but for the same reasons, I guess I should have been just as worried because like the older sister character turns into a murderer. Yeah. That's a, uh, (laughs) that's a a different kind of of, uh, story. (laughs) That's a different kind of family relationship. Right. Uh, So yeah, I, I, you're right. I hadn't, I hadn't thought of it. So I guess maybe in the back of my mind, I didn't actually think it. Maybe that's what's really was going on. I didn't think it was going to actually happen. I didn't think yeah. that there was actually death on the line here. So in any case, yeah. she goes ahead and and sucks the red out of his bow tie, and he says, "Oh, a white bow tie. Well, I've always wanted one of those." So, right. turns out it was actually doing him a favor. 
Exactly. No harm, no foul. And then they move on, and what's the second task that uh, Marceline is having Finn assist her with? The next task is raising an undead army. They fly to a cemetery, and Marceline tells Finn that he is going to, she's going to raise the dead as a, an army and march on Palace. The, oh God, the Duke of Nuts? Am I right? Yes, the Duke of Nuts. They're going to march to his palace. Yeah, and and Marceline even says, hey, Finn, are you ready to lead an evil undead army? Right. And Finn is not quite prepared to be the general of an army marching into battle against, again, innocent characters. Uh Uh-huh. He is, again, faced with a dilemma, and he does the same thing that he did in the first time, where he is... He is bound to, he's bound by his honor code to execute the order by Marceline, but he tries to do everything he can to mitigate the damage by... Yeah, he kind of finds a loophole. By running ahead to warn the castle that an attack is coming, which gives them the opportunity to deliver, oh, an unnumbered amount of nutsack jokes. Uh, they're going to sack the nut castle. They they actually never say the phrase nut sack, but they... No, they don't, but they, they do say, oh no, someone is here to sack the nut castle. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, over and over and over and over. Yeah, I actually just watched it with my nephew, and I think it went right over his head, but man, it, it resonated with me, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> Kudos to the writers on slipping in that, the bunch of nut sack jokes, getting it, getting it past the FCC. But anyway, uh, what ends up happening is he comes to warn the castle, but the castle, the castle occupants, the Duke of Nuts in particular, when he hears that it's Marceline coming, is less worried than Finn expects him to be. They're in the midst of a party in the yeah. They're in celebrating. The castle. They're celebrating his the Duke of Nuts' second-born's first birthday, I believe. Yep, his second son's first birthday. Yeah, so. Finn can't understand really why they're not as worried about this army of the undead that's marching towards the castle. Uh, but then we quickly find out why. And Marceline reveals she flies in with her base axe, which is literally an axe, but is also a guitar in the metaphorical axe sense, uh, and begins playing a song in honor of the birthday boy. It's a very dark and sort of violent song. Like I think she says she wants to eat him, but it's also, it was a requested song. It was a it was a, a requested performance by the Duke of Nuts. Yeah, so the Duke of Nuts lets Finn know that, that Marceline is playing the party, in fact. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I have to say, you know, the the song is dark. I, I definitely think that Marceline is, she's emo. Mm-hmm. Those songs that she's writing and singing, um, uh-huh. she's definitely emo. Yeah. And the Army of the Undead, it turns out, is like the backing band and sort of like just they're sort of like party revelers they're not i can't they they didn't really have any other fo- they didn't have any other purpose other than to be like her her backing band and vocals yeah i don't think we see them play any instruments or anything they just kind of start to get down with everybody else yeah they just like she just brings the party essentially in the form of living undead skeletons and so again finn is sort of gobsmacked that oh once again this thing that he thought was a huge conflict of his code there was no conflict again. It was just Marceline winding him up a second time. And this is where, actually, I think he outright says that he's kind of starting to figure it out. You know, Marceline mm-hmm. is not actually trying to get him to do evil things. Right. And that impacts the next task, which is mm-hmm. which happens right there in the castle. Marceline brings Finn a plant, a dimple plant. A, dim- a dimple plant. A dimple plant, which is an adorable... It sort of looks like lumpy space princess as a plant like a cloud as a plant essentially but really sure cute. sure yeah it's like a little scoop of orange sherbet on top of a plant yeah like a really but with a really cute that has eyes and like a just big deer eyes doe eyes and has fruit and when you eat a fruit from the dimple plant you get dimples too so you get cute too when you eat from the dimple plant it's it's a very cute organism yeah uh think um mowgli or uh, am I, is that right? From uh, Gizmo, Gizmo from Gremlins, like oh sure, yeah, okay, yeah, absolutely, yeah, Gizmo from Gremlins, like that kind of adorableness, and but in plant form. 
not not Mowgli from the Jungle Book, which yeah. was a uh, common, speaking of bullies, that was a common deliberate mispronunciation of my last name on the playground oh, at yeah. Eisenhower Elementary. Nice. Wow. Yeah, not to, you know, go dredging up memories or wow. anything, but I, had no intention. I can't hear Mowgli without thinking about it. I had no intention of opening up wounds for you on that one. That was, <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to. Sorry. I won't even mention Mowgli Dick. But I think... I think I, I think actually the the breed of just to make sure this is why I think I confused I believe believe Gizmo is a Mogwai I think that's actually like yeah the, yeah 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 okay that's why I was thinking about that name all right um, all right I, now I know you weren't doing it deliberately right anywho uh, <laughs> there's this cute plant which we've thoroughly established and Marceline tells Finn to take her axe her guitar axe her bass axe. Also a sign of emo. Like, she's the bass player. She's like a lead singer, bass player. Come on. Like, she is definitely yep. she's definitely emo. Oh, yeah. The uh, Take the axe outside and kill the plant. Chop it. Chop it up. So, again, so... And in a hurry, too. She wants him to get right down get, to it. Get right to it. And Finn, this time, says, like, okay. And I think... She's kind of surprised that he says okay, and I, I, maybe I'm maybe mixing up the timeline here, but I think he just says okay, and he mm-hmm. kind of he's he's talking himself into it. He's saying, you know what? Every time you've told me to do something that I thought was evil, it turns out that there was a twist. So like, what's the twist here? And right. Yeah. He's actually, I think, talking to the plant. And yeah. Kind of like you know, uh, he's holding. She sent me out here to kill you, and yeah, he's holding the really... axe over his head and saying yeah. like. There's got to be a twist. What's the twist? And it's driving him nuts. Like he still doesn't want to kill the plant. So he dilly dallies. And, and then, consequences. And, well, and then she just zips out quickly and says, uh, there's no twist. Like she's still <laughs> right. She just like says it to him like, oh, there's no twist. Uh, I just want you to kill this thing. And so then he's like, he's right back into, he's like all the self doubt comes back. And now he just, now he's like, oh God, now I've, I'm, I'm killing an innocent plant. But, it turns out, once again, she is sending him up because almost instantaneously after that, the cute little plant super evolves into a giant vine monster. Yeah, carnivorous. Carnivorous vine monster that immediately starts attacking Finn. And Marceline kind of says, I told you so. I told you to kill it when you had a chance. And so then Finn goes into hero mode. And yeah, he finally has has a villain, yeah. a bad guy that he's going to vanquish, and yeah. so he he jumps straight into battle. Yep, takes out a takes out a vine, but the thing is huge and overpowers him, and grabs a hold of him and starts to eat him. Marceline has to ha, Marceline has to rescue him, has to fly up, and I think she just removes one more piece of fruit from the top of the plant, and that's yeah. It. She like plucks its little puffball at the top. Yeah, and that just it kills the thing, and then uh, Finn is able to extricate himself from the inside the plant via cutting it open from the inside with the axe. Yeah, so Marceline saves him, and now mm-hmm. he gets it. Uh-huh. Now he gets it. Then he and Marceline have a good good laugh about it. He says, I figured it out. You're just you're just sending me up. You're just joking with me. And Marceline tries to keep the ruse going a little bit longer, but even she just says, yeah, you're right. I'm just messing with you. And he kind of says, who was that first henchman anyway? And she's like, says something like, she's, he's a He's like a poker buddy or something. He's, he's, he's an old diving buddy. He's an old diving buddy. Yeah. So the whole thing's been a, just a just a joke. And Finn and Marceline are pretty cool at this point. And, but at that moment, we have a, the last the third act starts, which is that Jake has returned and has finally found his courage to face Marceline in a sort of kamikaze style raid. He he attacks Marceline when she is not looking and gets her knocked out, gets her knocked into the sunlight, which is, is like all vampires is detrimental to Marceline. Yeah. She luckily doesn't, you know, burn up immediately like a vampire in blade might, but she's clearly suffering and, and uh, needs to get out of the sun right away if she's going to make it right. And Finn begin, Finn tries to protect her from Jake and to Jake's ears, I think it sounds like Finn has something akin to like Stockholm syndrome, 
and yeah, or just some sort of like vampire curse kind right. of situation. He's saying, "No, you need. I need to protect her." And and Jake's saying, "I'm going to save you, buddy." Again, he, sort of like with with Donnie, like I, this is going to hurt you more than it's, he thinks he's doing the same thing. I'm going to hurt you now, but it's for a greater good. So Jake attacks and attacks and attacks, and he thinks that he eventually he drives a stake through Marceline's umbrella her parasol which where she was hiding underneath she's hiding from the sun underneath there and uh he drives a stake through it lifts up the parasol and sees like i guess a vapor kind of disappear yeah marceline's gone yeah and i I think he doesn't I, i guess he doesn't think that she actually killed her but he definitely thinks that he drove her away and so then jake feels like he has avenged his friend he has he has satisfied his honor code and is sort of leaves the leaves the scene, and we find that what has indeed happened is that Marceline, I think at the suggestion of Finn, yeah, she gives him credit for the idea, had transformed into a bat and quickly hid inside of Finn's backpack, and was able to sort of wait out wait out the end of the fight there. So Finn has saved Marceline, I guess, if she's giving him credit. Finn saved Marceline in this instance. They have a they have a quick goodbye saying something to the effect of like, oh, we're going to have some more fun, aren't we? And and she says like, definitely. I can't remember exactly the words. In that. Yeah, they, and then um, she departs. They've got a date to, they've got a date to strangle pixies sometime oh, right. coming up soon. Right, that's right. <laughs> they leave on very good terms. Uh, Marceline flies off to heal and, uh, and come back, I'm assuming, at some later point. And Jake, of course, thinks that he has liberated Finn from Marceline and, and, and Jake kind of, or uh, Finn kind of goes along with that. Mm-hmm. But uh, one, of my, one of my favorite lines of the episode is Jake is kind of talking about Marceline, and, and I think he's more or less making the case that, that she's evil. And Finn says, nah, man, she's just a cool dame who likes to play games. <laughs> that is good. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I do uh, definitely think that this, this episode is in line with your big brother or your big sister theory. What else do you think uh, we learned about Marceline in, in this episode? Well, we there. she does have a... She has a protection instinct with when it comes to Finn. She certainly didn't let him get eaten by that plant. She sort of rolls her eyes and steps in and saves him. So she's certainly fond of him in some sort of way and feels the need to protect him. She didn't just let him get eaten. I'm trying to think what else we've learned. We've learned that she is... Yeah, she's. She, I don't know what else. Do you, what did you learn? I'm done. <laughs> well, so I. I think we definitely see her vampire skills on display. She keeps changing into scary things to chase Jake off. Yeah, and she uses various powers. Um, to you know, she's a very powerful character. She uses some of those powers to get Finn out of some of these tricky situations. Yep. And I think we learn uh, about her personality. It is very much a. I'm not sure if if we've learned yet in this series exactly how old Marceline is, but she is a teenage character. Um, Mm -hmm. She's the older sister. She's writing emo songs on her bass. And so Marceline, for all of her special powers and stuff, she she basically is, is, is a teenage girl. She has the emotional age of a teenager. Yeah. She is, uh, she's a great character though. I think that she got, she got better this this time for me. These two episodes, I said it towards the beginning, these two episodes were both very much... It's nice that they have a theme that we can kind of talk about in tandem, but they very much uh, were episodes that where Finn was faced with paradoxes brought about by moral absolutism. And yep. he had to deal with the consequences of the of, of that line of thinking. And I think... At least with the Marceline episode, he decided to actively kind of to I don't know if he let go of his morals for this episode. I, that's not quite the right word, but he certainly learned to think a little bit before he acted, or think a little bit more rationally, and not let just the emotions of his moral code rule his behavior. He yeah he, he logicked out that there was a. That 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 he did not need to he did not need to react so violently or or so so extremely to situations he 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 sort of solved the riddle of that Marceline placed in front of him. 
Yeah, and I I think he he does defer to the honorable holding to his word in terms of, you know, it's, I think it's pretty clear in in every case that he's going to do what Marceline told him. He's just trying to work out how he's going to live with himself if he does. So it's interesting to me that, that his oath is as, and his word is more important sort of than his larger meaning in, in the world as a hero. But he's definitely learning a lot in both of these episodes about how, there may be heroes, but nobody's perfect, and uh, there are always moral gray areas. Yeah. Yeah, very uh, very good episodes, I thought. Yeah, me too. So I liked Donnie. It, it wasn't one that blew my mind. Uh, I thought that there, were a lot of good stu- there was a lot of good stuff in it. I really like obnoxygen. <laughs> <laughs> it's a solid line. Um, it's a solid word. Yeah. Oh, and then I also like when uh, Finn comes to get rid of the Y wolves and one of them is holding a house or two and Finn says, hands off the housing market. (laughs) I don't know why that, that, that just was hilarious to me. And then henchman honestly is one of my all time favorites. I suppose it's my pro Marceline bias because she, she features so, so heavily in this episode, but I I think that it develops her character a lot. Um, And Finn learns a lot about Marceline. I think by the end of the episode, he trusts her so that if she asks him to do something again, you know, even if it seems sort of dodgy ethically, he's probably going to go ahead and do it. So I really, really liked this one. I thought it had a lot of good gags. And I also just really liked the development of the relationship between Finn and Marceline. Yeah, and, you know, kudos again on how many nutsack jokes they were able to uh, to slide in there. Yeah, those, those, were, those were high quality for yeah. sure. So where are you at in terms of uh, your Adventure Zone fandom? Yeah, I think I agree with you on both of those episodes that um, the Donnie episode was, was nice but not not amazing um and that the henchman episode was was much more was much more developed in terms of furthering the characters furthering your understanding of the universe that they're building and and i thought that that both that one moved me forward in terms of enjoying the show more so yeah i'm on i'm on i'm on the same page with you there excellent and how's the uh dreamscape theory going well so i think the 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 wrinkle that this episode, the henchman episode throws in is then now like how Jake's representation now is a slightly changed in my mind. Cause now Jake almost represents in this episode, Marceline in her own way was helping Finn grow up. Like she represented a him helping him move forward in his understanding of morality and, and growing up to be more of a fully developed human, fully developed person. Whereas Jake was like a knee-jerk reaction against that growth. Mm-hmm. And so who is that now? You know, I said before that Jake was probably a brother, an older brother, and I thought that like the hierarchy went like Finn, Finn's the youngest sibling, Jake's the older brother within a similar age bracket, like not too far off of age. And then Marceline represented a much older sister, perhaps someone, uh, an 18-year-old to Finn's 12-year-old self but now that then like is jake are they vying for finn's love what are they going like why why are marceline and jake fighting that's i'm gonna have to think more about that and what that means for the family analogy that i've built in my yeah mind. yeah there's definitely some some conflict developing or or at least that existed in that episode between yeah jake and marceline because in the past jake has been has helped finn grow and has taken that role on of being helping him grow up and now if he's fighting that if he's fighting someone else helping finn grow then that's a different role that's a slightly like the jealousy that is there was not something that i had uh had contended with before yep all right so something to think about for me if while i watch the next two episodes and see if i can uh see if i can resolve it i'll let you know if i can uh on our next okay. epi- our next our next episode of the podcast 
Yeah, so we got a couple more coming up. We'll be back at you next week with those. Uh, before we go, I've been incredibly neglectful in thanking my good friend Will Yates for allowing us to use our theme song. Uh, it's called Date Night, and it's off of his most recent EP, which you can find on SoundCloud. So go grab that. Will is awesome. I think it's one of those uh, pay-what-you-want situations. So help Will out. Um, you know, Will has a real job, and I want him to be a musician. So go buy his stuff. Thank you, Will. Go buy his stuff. And Yeah, so uh, until next time, I've been Pat. I've been Ben. And uh, this has been Podventure Time. Uh, Jake told me I came from a cabbage. <laughs>